0: Hi, I'm Lindsay.
1: And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery.
0: Today, we're taking a field trip to a supercomputer in Barcelona, Spain.
1: It's the 16th most powerful computer in the world, and it's also been called the most beautiful data center.
0: That's because it's inside an old chapel. We'll learn how scientists are using it to tackle some of the world's biggest problems and find out where supercomputers get their superpower. Marshall, what do you picture when you hear the word supercomputer?
1: Maybe a laptop wearing a cape and a mask, little legs, arms, a face, saves people and stuff.
0: Well, I kind of pictured like a beefed up desktop with a person sitting down in front of like a huge control panel with buttons and it's blinking (laughs) and knobs are turning.
1: And maybe they give an evil laugh because their plans have just come to fruition.
0: (laughs) Well, it turns out that a supercomputer looks like neither of these things. So when I saw one for the first time in person, I got a tour from a scientist named Eduardo Porta, who's been working at the Barcelona Supercomputing Center for two years. But believe it or not, it's his first time to visit, too. Wait, so you've never seen any supercomputer before?
2: Nope. It's my first one.
0: (laughs) That's incredible.
1: Wait, so explain to me how he works at a supercomputing center but has never seen a supercomputer before. That seems, like, weird.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the supercomputer, which is named Mare Nostrum 4, is in an entirely different building. Every day, Eduardo walks into his office and uses his regular computer to log in. And so do hundreds of scientists around the world who use the supercomputer to run experiments involving tons of data.
2: What does it actually look like? It's pretty cool. A lot of blinking. And no, it, it's amazing.
0: A supercomputer is essentially a ton of computers connected together on racks, working through more complex calculations than our little laptops could ever dream of. So you can
1: just imagine my
2: laptop being like, someday, someday I'll sequence DNA. Yeah, essentially, you know, these are huge closets with uh, computers inside.
0: All that noise that you're hearing right now in the background is a massive fans and cooling system that keep Nostrum from overheating.
2: And then you can see all the the little green lights that are blimping, telling you that the machine is calculating and working and, 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 you know, making your experiment for you.
0: The machine sits inside a giant glass box. Rows and rows of tall black boxes are lined up where rows of pews used to be. It's impressive to look at, but I spent a lot of time staring up at the vaulted ceiling and stained glass windows.
2: The supercomputing on one side, the chapel on the other, it's pretty cool.
1: So how did a supercomputer end up in a chapel? Sounds like the start of a terrible joke. Like, was there a priest and a rabbi involved?
0: (laughs) The chapel hasn't been used as a religious space since the 1970s. So it was just an empty building on a university campus. And when the supercomputing center got started, it needed space, and the chapel was just sitting right there.
1: Computer scientists are so practical.
0: Yeah, whether it's intended or not, The chapel's surroundings give the supercomputer this added significance. It was really hard to stand there and not think about how computers are leading us into the future and where they've come from.
2: So a supercomputer from 1997 would be your laptop of today.
0: That's that's so mind-blowing. Yeah, that's 20 years ago, and our laptops are basically supercomputers.
2: Yes, so 20 years from now, you might have a Mare Nostrum 4 in your laptop, or maybe even in your phone. That is that is insane.
0: I know. And when Eduardo and I w- walked out into the hallway that circles around Mare Nostrum, it's like we walked into a retirement home of old supercomputers. <laughs>
1: They're all just, like, hanging out on the porch, talking about the weather. <laughs>
0: Their glory days, <laughs> when they <laughs> ran the best code in the world. <laughs> the one that caught my eye was from the 1980s. It looks like a table. It looks like a modernist table.
2: <laughs> or even a fridge. Well, this is measured directly in kiloflops. So a teraflop is... 10 to the ninth power, a kiloflop is 10 to the 3. So that's a billion times less than the than the current computer.
1: So wait, wait, wait. He's talking about flops? Like when somebody just flops down on a couch?
0: At the end of a long day, yes. <laughs> you do a lot of flops. Yep,
1: there goes the teraflop.
0: <laughs> Terra's at it again.
1: I'm going to do a kiloflop.
0: When you're talking about computers... FLOPs is a technical term used to measure computer performance, or how fast a computer can do a scientific calculation. It stands for floating point operations per second.
1: So it's kind of like uh, miles per hour for
2: computers.
0: Exactly. And Mare Nostrum itself is measured in even larger terms than teraflops.
2: In 2013, it was the top 29th computer in the world and had a computing power of, it's a unit that's called 1.1 petaflops. A petaflop? So it's like petting a floppy
0: bunny. (laughs) It's actually an unimaginably large number, 10 to the 15th power, or 10 with 15 zeros behind it. That
1: is really an enormously large number.
0: Get ready for this number then. Last year, Mari Nostrom got an upgrade from 1.1 petaflops to over 11 petaflops.
2: That's a lot of petting floppy bunnies. The more computing power you have, the more difficult questions you can answer. If we had the computing power of, of 10 years ago, there are many analyses, for instance, in my experiments, there are many of them that I couldn't do because I'd have to wait for months to get the answer.
0: Those months could mean years added to the already long process of developing treatments for cancer. And that's what Eduardo is doing every day when he accesses the supercomputer.
2: So what I do is I analyze DNA data from tumors and healthy patients.
0: Essentially, he's searching through genes to find the ones that might be responsible for causing cancer.
1: That doesn't sound like a job for a computer scientist.
0: Well, that's because he's not a computer scientist. Scientists use supercomputers to do all kinds of science that require handling a ton of data, from scanning the universe for new planets to predicting future climate to cancer research.
1: So it's like a big, giant, super powerful tool for science.
0: Exactly. Eduardo feeds the supercomputer information about hundreds of thousands of genes from real people and compares DNA from those healthy people to DNA from cancer tumors to find the differences between them.
2: You need a, a supercomputer to essentially analyze all these data together. That's terabytes of data and, you know, find out using statistics and mathematics and things like that, uh, try to understand which two to 300 genes are really important in in cancer and are are really driving the growth of of these cells. Okay, I get it.
1: Uh, Comparing all that DNA would just be way too much work to do by hand.
0: It would take forever. And it's too much data for a regular computer to handle. So the supercomputer really speeds up the pace of research.
1: So we can make better treatments for cancer, right?
0: Yeah, but the supercomputer is just at the beginning of the process of making a new cancer drug.
2: This is essentially to generate hypotheses. Which genes could be more important, which are probably less important. And then, you know, you need to actually test it. And and that's when the biology lab comes in.
0: In the lab, biologists take a closer look at the list of suspect genes that Eduardo has tracked down, genes that have changed or mutated in cancer patients.
1: And then they'll see if they can make a medication to fix those genes.
0: Exactly. So it's not just a supercomputer solving all of our problems through data. Lots of different scientists and skills are involved.
2: We need to work together to, to validate our findings and, and really, you know, get down to what's important.
0: That's so
1: interesting. So the best computer in the world can come up with a solution to a question, but people still have to figure out what it means and how to use it.
0: Yeah, and if the answer comes back, say, 42, that's meaningless <laughs> unless we know what to do with it.
1: Well, it's life, the universe, and everything, of course. <laughs> if any of you listeners get that reference, please let us know. <laughs> I really want to meet fellow fans. <laughs> So, does the supercomputer just sort of turn itself on, run by itself?
0: It doesn't. That's where actual computer scientists come in. And back in the building where Eduardo actually works, I got to meet one.
3: Um, yes, I'm Claudia Rosas. I'm from Venezuela, and I'm a researcher in the Barcelona Supercomputing Center.
0: Claudia's job is to track down problems in Mari Nostrum.
3: I'm like a detective.
1: She's looking for those code criminals trying to throw wrenches at the machine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the actual bad
0: code that she's after.
3: Bottlenecks, that means some part of the code that is not going as fast as it, as it should be.
0: Claudia makes sure that Mare Nostrum is handling the data in the most efficient way possible. And she also helps scientists steer their research through changes and upgrades. So she's like an
1: insanely qualified tech support.
0: She's the ultimate help desk.
1: You think she's very good at saying, just turn it off and turn it on again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you do that with a (laughs) supercomputer.
1: Doesn't that solve all tech problems?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Claudia told me that the first time she visited Mari Nostrum, working with it became her
3: dream. And I was like, wow, I want to work here. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to play with this big toy.
1: That's amazing. So how did she get into computers to begin with?
3: I was a really lucky girl. My dad was a fanatic of computers, and I grew up with, well, surrounded by computers and calculators and books. From a young age, she saw computers as a tool. It was fun. The first time I learned to program and learned that the computer can do stuff for me, uh, it was really impressive. And every single day, I get surprised. For how fast and how far we have gone.
1: Yeah, it really has been mind blowing to learn how supercomputers have evolved.
3: I have to say that my favorite
0: part of the visit was time traveling through the history of supercomputers with all those old machines in the hall. Because they seem so simple now and, you know, less powerful than our phones in our pockets. But one of them ran the code that helped land a man on the moon.
1: Wow. So we could do that with our phones now. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's, That's what great. I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> Everybody, we're going to the moon. All we need is an iPhone.
0: <laughs> For real, though. With these incredibly powerful supercomputers, who knows what the next generation of scientists will be able to do.
1: You don't need to be a scientist like Eduardo to learn how to program. You can learn just like Claudia did
0: on your own. There's tons of resources out there for you to get started. Lots of schools and communities host learn-to-code events and classes, and there's even websites that help you do it on your own, at home, at your own computer, at your own pace. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Please tell us
1: how you're learning and what you have your computer doing for you, and is it as cool as curing cancer? (laughs) Or just like an awesome video game? At tumblepodcast at gmail.com.
0: Thanks to Eduardo Porta and Claudia Rosas, researchers at the Barcelona Supercomputing Center. Also thanks to Sarah Ibanez for coordinating our visit.
1: You can see photos of Lindsay's visit to Mare Nostrum and learn more about supercomputers around the world on our blog at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Thanks this week also to our newest Patreon member, Dominic Mast. If you want to be awesome like Dominic, Pledge today at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Our Patreon supporters make this show possible.
0: Sarah Lentz is our editor. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all the music. Thanks for
1: listening, and join us next time for more stories of science discovery.